0: Hello and welcome to Country Roads Confidential. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 24-7sports.com network. It's Texas Tech Week. West Virginia is reeling from four straight losses in what is being dubbed as Deathtober, uh, facing off against the top four teams in the Big 12 Conference, losing all of them, and losing several players in the process. Uh They will look to recoup as the Red Raiders come to town on their own slide, losing five of six. And honestly, there's a lot more going on than just what's going to happen on the field on Saturday. A lot of personnel moves, some transfers, interesting conversations with the coaching staff. Uh, Not that I've had, but that my co-host, co-worker, and comrade, Mr. Mike Casazza, has had. Mike, how are things today? Good. Good.
1: I'll explain in a minute but pretty active and uh new day. Like frequently these Tuesday media things are kind of like kind of lame, I don't know. I guess a little bit tiresome because it's the same people over and over. Not coincidentally, a little bending of the rules today, which was certainly appreciated. Um and I think effective too, but um kind of new people to talk to and some I don't know rosier things to talk about, which is probably the point. Um But yeah, everybody seems to be in a pretty good mood. And I don't know if it's because they're happy with it or they're content with it. Obviously, they're not. I don't think that they're settled with missing a bowl or anything like that. But I think that they're so used to the way things have been going right now. Remember, they haven't won a game in a long, long time that they're kind of they're not affected by that. And they kind of realize that maybe it did get them down or it did affect them somehow or another. And they're just kind of like, eh, let's do something new. And I think they kind of try to stay up above it as best they can. They seem like there's guys that are in pretty good spirits, all things considered.
0: Can I be a Debbie Downer and let's start with the bad news first? Sure. I learned on Tuesday afternoon. You mean yesterday? Uh, yes. And by but that, I mean Monday. We didn't learn this on Tuesday afternoon. or Well, you learned it before that, told me. Uh, two new transfers for West Virginia quarterback Jack Allison and wide receiver slash safety slash wide receiver. Ricky Johns. Um, Two guys that were unlikely to make a difference this year and maybe not in the future based on what's happened. Do you take anything from either of these moves right now? Like big picture stuff or or what?
1: Yeah, not not the one surprising. Johns hadn't played very much. He was somehow up on the depth chart this week, even though the university confirmed he was gone so I think there's obviously a lag there but I mean the fact that it was surprising he was on the depth chart kind of speaks to where he's been and and hasn't been Uh, he traveled a couple times he hadn't played and as I understand he just kind of said yeah enough's enough and let's start fresh somewhere else and I don't think that's entirely rare for players in this situation where it's the first year and you're from a different staff and you know you've been on defense you've been on offense Uh, Allison is entirely not surprising given the way that he has been used and performed this season, and who have we been talking about for weeks now? Not Allison, not Trey Lowe, it's Jared Dagey, and that's going to continue into the off season and moving forward. This is a two quarterback competition for all intents and purposes for next year, um, and that means that one or two guys are being nudged out. So, you know, not great, especially if you're looking, you know, for example, this week they're short on receivers. They're going to need people to play. Um, this might be a situation where Ricky Johns played there's no indication he was going to, but if West Virginia's scout team was depleted before, and that is something that Neil Brown is pretty vocal about losing Ricky Johns doesn't help. And certainly losing a quarterback doesn't help. So um, not great things, but I wouldn't say terribly surprising either.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the wide receivers position and more uh, depth issues. Cause Neil Brown also touched Tuesday afternoon on just a, and, and I welcome this. I mean, I know, I just wrote the story about it, kind of listing off all the things he talked about. But I believe both of us are big proponents of just being kind of upfront about who's in, who's out. Uh, We don't need too many details or anything like that. And Brown doesn't seem to be afraid to address that. Just flat out, Tuesday afternoon, running down a list of injuries on this team. uh, And all of a sudden, West Virginia has lost their starting bandit. Uh, Quandary's calls for the year starting will Josh Chandler is questionable starting safety or new starting safety Noah Guzman questionable starting kicker questionable starting right guard questionable former starting running back questionable uh, and two starting receivers one starting receiver Sean Ryan still out and another starting receiver TJ Simmons downfall. Uh when does it stop Mike? Oh, boy.
1: Um, I'm look, I'm thinking back to different years where this has been similar. It never seems like the bleeding stops. You usually have, like, an injury that's significant and then things kind of correct themselves. And, you know, a team doesn't have bad luck, but then teams that have bad luck have really bad luck. And, you know, this is kind of it. Um, that was a really physical, uh, high-impact game. Um, So I'm not surprised that West Virginia was dented a little bit, but I'm surprised that, like, guys who – are just getting into roles are getting knocked back Like poor Noah Guzman. Um, you know, it's, it's his time. He gets it and he goes to tackle the quarterback and gets blasted in the head uh, and also hurts his ankle on the same play. Um, apparently that's the injury too. I think it's going to probably slow him more, but just things like that, just keep adding up where a new guy goes in and gets hurt or a new guy gets an opportunity and something bad happens. Uh, when it's a stop, when's the last game? That's probably the right answer.
0: Um, so wide receiver that was that was the one we're kind of looking at most closely here with with ryan's definitely out simmons is almost certainly out uh so it's going to be pretty young uh sam james redshirt freshman and then what two true freshmen alongside him ollie jennings and and winston wright is that is that the move here What what's the move for that receiving core
1: Yeah, I think that would be your starting three if you go with that personnel. And if you go starting four, you're probably going to play Isaiah Isdale. Uh, He's more of the he's actually the technical backup to Simmons. But just talking to Winston Wright today, which we'll get to in a second, but talking Mm -hmm. to him today, um, he said that he'll probably play both this week because it's it's essentially the same positions and similar, if not identical routes. But one's just bigger than the other and is on the field more for blocking and for like stick routes, for example. T.J. Simmons can run a stick. Uh, and box out a little bit better than Winston Wright can, of course. So um, it's going to kind of be spread out a little bit. You know, um, George Campbell sounds like has earned opportunities to play more. One name that didn't hear um, in conversation with anybody or with Neil Brown was Bryce Wheaton, not because he's hurt, but just hasn't really kept up where he was when, you know, it seemed like he put his foot through the window late against Texas, Um, had a pretty bad drop last week that Brown did allude to without naming him. Um, yeah, that's a guy that they've been trying to get to stay up for a while. He has ups and downs, and you know, they really need him to answer the bell now. So it would be great if he could have that game because, you know, that gives them a two-deep outside. But those inside positions are where they've kind of done their work this year, certainly with T.J. Simmons. And, you know, we've we've kind of made a meal out of the screen and go to Isaiah Esdale. And I thought it was interesting that they said they weren't going to be deterred by who was on the field. And I think that's a redeeming thing for the players to hear, but like that play is supposed to be wide open. It's not supposed to be a contested catch. It almost made it sound like it was Ezdale's fault, or he was somehow involved in it, but um, or that, you know, Simmons might've made a better play. I'm not sure that's the case, but they obviously have yeah, some level of concern with those inside receivers. And again, those are the ones who have been productive for them this year, or at least more consistent of late, just because of some of the drop troubles and some
0: of the productivity problems they've had with the outside receivers. A quick tangent here with, with the George Campbell conversation mm-hmm. and, and how Brown said that he's going to play more. He's earned it. Uh, why, from what you've had conversations you've had with the coaching staff or, say, during your extensive film or fiction uh, mm. research, why has he not been playing so far? I mean, we we know that he's been catching touchdowns seemingly every time he catches the ball, but he's so very rarely is out there so very rarely is catching the ball what what has been his kind of situation this year you know he's actually played about 20 snaps a game i think on the high end Uh and
1: that's that's quite a bit he's sam james backup and that's the guy that they've probably invested the most in at least early on that is that's definitely faded a little bit lately too especially when you see um you know how much other guys are getting to play so that's that's problematic um But that's the problem. Then Campbell has to play more. Just hasn't played a whole lot. That's the bummer, I think, for him because he's been pretty productive. Um, And I don't know if he was completely healthy and able to practice full time early on. That hip is a pretty serious thing. But, you know, I just talked to him today. He said the hip is fine. Um, Yeah, he's on the kickoff team. So he's blocking and maybe he doesn't get out there. Maybe he gets tired from doing some reps. They want to keep him fresh. And I don't know why wasn't Winston Wright returning kickoffs. The guy runs a ten four hundred, right? You figure he'd be pretty good at it. So these are things you learn during the season sometimes, but um, I think it was hard for him to get on the field. I'm not so sure why it was hard for him to stay on the field though. <clears throat>
0: um, do you want to discuss the uh, trio of newcomers you got to speak yeah. to today? Let's talk PR.
1: I think <laughs> these guys are pretty good at this. We've spent time talking about videos and social media. All that stuff, they're pretty creative. They have a plan for stuff like this too, but you know, here we are. They haven't won since the Kansas game. You got the first home game in a while. Four-game losing streak, winless month. You're staring at the prospect of you know, maybe not playing in a bowl game. Um, and then I think what's probably going to be a newsy offseason with the number of players leaving um, it may be not completely satisfying in recruiting. Who knows? But like The point is that these are things you could talk about now that may happen later without even knowing. And on top of what is going on right now that you do know about, which is that not winning and not looking great either side at the same time, offense or defense. So as I said, these Tuesday things get a little boring sometimes because how many times can we talk to Reese Donahue and Colton McKibbitts and Kennedy McCoy and guys like that? seniors who are out there because they're seniors that can handle this. They like it. And they're also kind of spokespersons for the team. Um, Just kind of gets a little tedious after a while. But the team rule is you can't talk to true freshmen or first year players. And you've seen that in email before too, where they say send your interview requests in by such and such a time, a reminder, true freshmen or first year players aren't available. And they'll make exceptions to that. Like we've talked to Sean Ryan, for example, we've talked to Austin Kendall, for example, True freshman, it just doesn't happen. um so I found it encouraging but certainly interesting that today was the first time we talked to Tykey Smith, Ollie Jennings, and Winston Wright um Smith and Wright had really good games. Jennings is just somebody new to talk to and is a pretty cool cat. it sounds like, but uh that gives you things that are totally new and different to write about or produce stories about, and you know hey, you're gonna be positive about those guys because they've done good things and the future is certainly ahead of them um and that kind of changes the talking points a little bit so now you're saying mike what are you talking about you're rambling here i was kind of budgeting my stories for the week and said Jennings was really good to talk to um tyke smith was really good to talk to Wright was really good to talk to so i'm putting my slots for the stories together and i'm filling them in with ideas and i had to get those guys in and i had to bump a story out i bumped out a story on bryson Mays. So I'm not going to be writing about the center exchanges this week, which is kind of a stroke of genius when you consider that like that's not maybe the intent of what they did today. But like that's the outcome. So now you're getting more positive stories and you're getting one less negative story. And I think they'd like to hear that. Right.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you, you seem to be uh, implying a nefarious plot here when uh, he, Neil Brown laid the ground for it last week. There are no more F-words, Mike. Oh, so that's true. I, they're not even breaking their own rules. <laughs> so I, I put your tinfoil hat away. You're just talking to young players. That's all. Cause there that's are true. no more F words. I guess that is consistent. You're right. Good catch. <laughs> um, shall we turn our attention to Texas tech? Uh, go for it. Uh, all right. Well, the red Raiders have lost five of six um, struggling on the defensive side of the ball with a, and a, I have no idea how I did not know this. Um, I, I knew it once upon a time. I just completely forgot it. Defensive coordinator for Texas Tech. Yeah. This is a familiar face. Mr. Keith Patterson. Um, and things are not going well in Lubbock for Mr. Patterson. Uh, according to Jarrett Johnson of Inside the Red Raiders, our Texas Tech sister site on 24-7 sports, he tells me that things are getting worse as the season is going on on the defensive side of the ball and that there are some grumblings already about the 3-3-5 defense that Patterson has employed there. Your thoughts.
1: I've never heard an offensive coordinator have the explanation that Matt Moore had today. He was talking about Texas Tech's defense, and he said someone asked him about basically, hey, why they struggle. I forget what that is, but I'm paraphrasing. And he basically said that like, there are gaps and there are openings in their defense, and if you get the ball in front of certain people, they're going to miss tackles and make mistakes. And if you get the ball in front of their good people, they're going to make the tackle. And that sounds maybe oversimplified and perhaps that's football one one, but like that would imply there are a lot of bad players on the defense. <laughs> <laughs> I just never heard like it boiled down to that type of a, of a explanation before where like they have holes and they have guys who aren't going to make plays. And that may be it. Um, part of the stuff that he did here was that, you know, I think he was trying to juggle in between identities um, because they were in the, in between that three, three, five, slash Joe DeForest era and then they kind of made that change to him late in this first year and the second year he was here they were okay but they were such high risk high reward um, which was similar to what happened to him at Arizona State too so this is not entirely unexpected uh, he's a really bright guy and probably one of the coaches I had the most fun talking to and he was really eager and willing to sit down and, and chat you up about stuff too but If you watch what his defenses have done, um, it's been like that, where pressure, man-to-man, and openings. And I guess players in situations that make bad plays, uh, they have some good personnel. They're going to be strong up the middle, which could be a problem for West Virginia at times. But um, I think this is another reason today why the receivers are so important or maybe getting the running backs involved in the passing game is that if you get these guys in space you get them on the move, um, they're prone to give up big plays there.
0: So here's my question because I was asked to make a prediction on that on the game. I decided to avoid it not because I'm horrible at picking college football games, which I apparently am Ooh. this year, but because here's here's my dilemma is the is a impotent offense the solution the the, the remedy for a horrible defense or is a horrible defense the solution for an impotent offense. Like what what's the opposite of, you know, the immovable force and whatever, like wh- who's going to get better this weekend? What do you is it West Virginia's offense is going to look better or is it going to be Texas Tech defense is just going to seem better because West Virginia has struggled to move the ball. I think this is a, probably a good
1: opportunity to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the quarterback situation that Brown sort of indicated today there may be an opening for someone to play um, because that is a forgiving defense. And, man, the more I think about it, it's a pretty encouraging sign for Jarrett Daigie to come in because if this is the defense that's kind of saving, gives up plays. And, hey, that's a good way to get him rolling and get some confidence. But similarly, it might also mean that it's good for Austin Kendall and it gets him going. Um, I would be surprised if they come out and try to run the ball. when one they can't. And two, a great way to get this offense going and to get people around him up and moving is to see the quarterback take charge and get in command of this thing like he is perhaps capable of, but certainly needed to do. So um, it's, I think that's ultimately the, the answer to who wins, is which one of these um, benefits at the expense of the other. Defenses sometimes struggle to travel, particularly late in the season. Offenses are generally better at home. Um I just think that there's probably a greater opportunity to get some juice for the offense and also some opportunity to maybe make some things happen with other players too. But here's my question. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Let's rank the new head coaches because we have two today who are in pretty similar situations. When you see what Texas tech and West Virginia have done both one and four in the conference, both three and five overall Texas tech has lost. What'd you say? Five out of six, three in a row.
0: Yeah. Five out of six,
1: four in a row. Uh, Kansas three and six, one and five. We could pretty much give Chris Kleiman coach of the year as long as they don't finish six and six, I think. So he's probably exempt from this. But of those three, which are the three teams at the bottom here, how would you rank them? Because they each have merits where they could be. You, you could really put one above the other, and ultimately this may be still a few weeks away from being answered. But is there a one or a three clearly here?
0: Oh, man. That is tough, because I think, as far as less miles started with less, Neil Brown has been hit the hardest over the last you know say since the end of spring, and they've all kind of done the same job i would I would have to debate between uh no offense to this weekend's opponent i I debate between Neil Brown and less miles to be honest, number one, yeah, for number one. And Brown
1: gets the head-to-head nod, right?
0: Yeah, I guess they beat them, so there you go. Tex had really bad injury luck. They've been
1: close a couple times and blown out a couple times. Like They really played Texas close, but they got smoked by TCU, and those were, I think, two weeks apart, so that's concerning. Um, I'm talking about Kansas. I'm sorry, I am reading the wrong schedule here. Uh, My bad. But, yeah, Brown gets the head-to-head against Kansas, and then – just beat Texas Tech. That puts Matt Wells at the bottom, I think, pretty firmly, especially if he loses. But similarly, all three of these teams have pretty significant makeovers going on. Les Miles, you're right, started with the least amount of resources, but I think it's made them genuinely entertaining. I'm not sure what happened, except that maybe it was inevitable for them to kind of have a flat tire against Kansas State, especially after that really good win against Texas Tech and then playing well against Texas the week before. But um, Browns, obviously – Turning over an awful lot here. And there's, I thought, I did not think the Texas Tech was going to struggle like this. So I thought that was the one team at the beginning of the year among the new coaches that could really take a leap. Ultimately, that's been climbing in Kansas State. Really um, pretty terrifying all of a sudden if you're a late season opponent for them because they're humming. Um, the Texas Tech has a lot of injuries and a quarterback thing too is, is a big deal. Like you need a quarterback and they had a good one coming back, but he just hasn't been healthy. And they seem to think at West Virginia that Bowman may play. But they're ready for Duffy, and, boy, if you see them both in the field, those are two totally different guys, as West Virginia well knows because of what happened last year.
0: Yeah, and I, when I spoke with Jared earlier today, he told me that the assumption is that Bowman, Bowman will travel, he will warm up, but that he is unlikely to play until next week. Uh, but he will be there and is a maybe. So, I mean, but like you said, Bowman started the game last year against West Virginia, got hurt, and then Duffy came in and looked pretty darn good. Uh, I just have memories of him gashing the West Virginia defense with his arm and his feet. Uh, Of course, he had a couple bad turnovers, a couple interceptions that ended up sealing the game for West Virginia, but um, he absolutely moved the ball against this defense.
1: Do you suspect we'll see the same defense by West Virginia, if they're capable? I think if Noah Guzman doesn't play, they could coach up Jake long to be that safety that plays that kind of Rover spot, or they make maybe they make long the free safety and they have Norwood be the Rover, but they could probably find a way to get to three safeties, play the tight fronts, play the one linebacker, the two linebackers again, or do you think they have to go back to normal because it's a different opponent?
0: I think the three, two, six is the way to go. I think um, they have the defensive front to Mm -hmm. do that, to kind of hold, hold blockers on their own and force double teams. And I just don't know if there is are is the personnel in at the linebacking core for West Virginia. I you guys are falling left and right. They've lost Qualls. Chandler's questionable. So now you're staring at a at linebacking group of uh, what Campbell, mm-hmm. Abbott, Tonkery. Um, that's it. I just don't see it. I I think they're better off trying to get their best players on the on the field. And to me, the best players would be getting that sixth kind of defensive back in there with someone like Guzman or even Jake Wong, if Guzman can't go.
1: Jake's got tackle a little bit better than he did, a little more legal than he did, but that's a guy that they've been excited about for a long time. And I mean, a really elite athlete who's bounced around between different positions and hasn't had a chance, but I can't imagine how he's worse than Guzman or how Guzman is better than him relative to their experience and ability. Um, and that rover spot is kind of something where you can kind of freelance a little bit and, kind of run around a little bit and make things happen. And Guzman was really good at that. So, again, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. My concern with this one is, though, you're putting a lot of weight on that defensive line. Texas Tech's offensive line is very good, Um, probably underrated. Um, I wouldn't look at sack numbers so much because their quarterbacks move around and get rid of the ball so much, but they run the ball pretty evenly. They have – I want to say they brought all five back. Um, If not, it's a pretty experienced group, you know, big guys – mean or whatever and I'm sure they're going to be ready to fight because they don't want Darius Sills going over to the sideline reporter <laughs> and saying that this team is also soft I'm sure I'm I'm positive based on that that the next team that sees West Virginia's defensive line is going to say all right well, let's see what you got and Texas Tech is a, is a pretty good opponent when you look at that matchup
0: so while we were talking here I did a quick just a real quick run through of the numbers looking at West Virginia's roster we were just talking about the uh the depth and and inexperience quick numbers probably off by one or two but my count is 66 scholarship players i'm talking true scholarship players not walk-ons that walked on for 3 years and got a scholarship this year 66 true scholarship players for west virginia on the roster right now after this week's transfers and of those 66 that includes thirteen players that are questionable or worse for this weekend's game. That includes like that sixty-six number includes Sean Ryan, TJ Simmons, Kennedy McCoy, Chase Barrett, and so on. Oh my God. So fifty <laughs> so I you know, it, it take those thirteen, questionable or out, doubtful or out. You're down to fifty three scholarship, healthy scholarship bodies on the roster right now. Fifty-three. Oh my God. Here,
1: here's here's where like things got a little bit hairy too, and we probably have to talk about it too, because that twenty-five cap is is difficult. Um, and people I've talked to said that they really only wanted to keep twelve or thirteen people in the signing class because, right now, because they wanted to assess during the season what they need, which is probably in hindsight a good idea because they certainly need more in the back end than they thought before. They might need greater depth at linebacker than they thought before. Um, but you still can only add 25 and actually it's only going to be 24 because Ruben Jones counts forward, but, um, say you sign 24 and maybe you roll one or two ahead to next year. So you get a full 25. Um, there are going to be a lot of players who leave. Like I'm, I could give you a list of, I have really strong suspicions, like eight, maybe nine people depending on how things shake out and we, we may even learn about some of these soon and later too, but like, that's like 33, 34 people you got to replace at some point too. So like, that's whew, man, it's, it's a major turnover. Um, how big of a scar do you think upcoming attrition
0: creates? Well, oh man, I mean, I, I'm still trying to wrap my heads around this number, but say you got 66, you lose, a handful more let's let's be generous and say it's only six, so you're down to sixty, and then what how many seniors are on this team fifteen it's it's not
1: a very big number, not like a full class,
0: yeah let's see one two, three four, five six, seven, eight nine ten eleven twelve, thirteen, thirteen, I think I got thirteen here, so thirteen you're down into forties. And if you can add 25, uh, just again, quick math here, you're up to 72. That's the number for FCS, right? And that the maximum yeah. amount of scholarships for an FCS program. And that is that is best case scenario at this point, is that West Virginia will start next year with about 70. Now, of course, they'll they'll probably try to get some of that creative math that they did this past offseason. Um, <clears throat> but even with that, you're thinking maybe 75 and then you're also taking a couple spots from the class after that. So it's going to be, you know, as I said, even last year, I think that, um, that it would take three, four or five years before West Virginia got back up to 85 full scholarship players because of this hard cap and because of the attrition. I, I still think that's the case. I think even though we're one year in, it's still going to be three or four years. It's, it's bad. Yeah,
1: I think a couple years ago, they had, I want to say, 15 players transfer. Yep, yeah, two two off-seasons ago. Not this and, one, but the one before, yeah. And that's a big number. And we were able to reason away that big number by saying, well, how many of them are really contributors? I don't think you can do that this year because you can't afford to take the hits. So even if you lose people, again, no offense to Ricky Johns or Jack Allison, but like, Guys like that who just haven't made a big splash, and, and honestly, who, who are probably better off somewhere else, too, to be perfectly frank. I mean, wish them well, obviously, but they're probably looking at better situation where they land next where someone has a plan or a need or a one for them. But if you lose a quantity of guys like that, that number, like you said, just dips so low. And, you know, I say eight or nine. That may be accurate that maybe not, it's going to be right around that no matter what. Let's say I'm off on a few and a, guy, a couple of guys are caught in the stand. There's going to be a few surprises, too. It may be higher than that. It may be lower than that. It's probably going to be right around there. The trend says it's probably going to be a little bit higher, even though they are so low, so you have fewer possibilities. But you know, you're talking offense, defense, special teams, skill positions, trenches, stuff like that all getting hit, and those are hard spots to add when you're already so young. Um, would it be alarming to you or expected to you if they did lose – Again, let's just say double-digit players, unexpectedly.
0: Another, another, say, 10 transfers out, you're saying?
1: Yeah, I would say – I don't have my Ooh. list in front of me, but I would say definitely two names came off of that with Kendall and Johns, and I think that
0: I'm right around eight or nine more. You mean Allison? Excuse me, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Did not. hey I, memory, I, but... I uh, let's see who else is on Mike's list. Um, okay. He is not on my list. I suspect uh, will, that he'll be back next year. We'll just edit that one. We'll cut mm-hmm. that out. Uh, man, that is because to me, I, I'm kind of skimming the roster. I definitely see a handful. So I, I def, I think five, six is for sure, and ten is like you said, just the way college football is. It's going to trend higher than the ones that seem obvious. Um, but. Man, with the with the lack of numbers, you would think you could look at guys because a lot of the times the old transfers, when guys were transferring, it was always, hey, look at the guys who are redshirt sophomores or juniors and already have a younger guy ahead of them in the depth chart. That's not necessarily the criteria anymore. It doesn't even need to be that, um, especially with a coaching change. And that's no knock on the coaches. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, I could definitely see it being up to 10. And then you're getting into – crisis mode here because the goal that I would say every program has is to have be around 80 scholarships with four or five that you can uh you know reward longtime walk-ons on and stuff like that I think that's a realistic realistic goal and expectation for a program and it's entirely possible that you know West Virginia is going to be in the low 70s again and and that's going to be a Not best case scenario, but pretty darn close to it.
1: Are you ready for some irresponsible chatter? I told you I was going to put you on the spot with the question. Are you ready for one?
0: Okay. And it's irresponsible. Even better. Mm -hmm. This
1: is not my style, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to make you do it. (laughs) Um, I have my students in class Tuesday morning. And, of course, they're very smart, well-educated, well-schooled. We're talking about debates and opinions and sports. Um, And a debate had to do with about Brown's future and, and so on and so forth. We won't go down that road. But one reason that a student had to be not convinced it would work out for Neil Brown was that he may very well be the next head coach at Kentucky. And I was amazed that we were already off we're already to that point, on huh? the interstate. Um, the reason being that Stoops not Bob could go back to Florida state where he was the offensive, excuse me, defensive coordinator. I believe he was on the national championship winning team. Um, And if Kentucky needs a coach, well, Hey, how about the hotshot coach who is only one year in and could perhaps get out of his lease (laughs) and, and go back to his alma mater. It's actually not his alma mater, by the way, but, is it too early to even have these conversations?
0: I mean, daggone, on Mike! I mean, I'm the knucklehead that you come to and ask these questions to, and even I'm saying it's too early. I got you got some Skip Baylesses in your classroom already.
1: Well, let me ask you this: What does it say about this this I don't know this circus in the off season and the coaching things where we we have preemptive moves, you know? It's chess and checkers where you're thinking three or four moves ahead. I mean, who knows what happens? I mean, it's it's ridiculous to me to even have this conversation right now. Um, I just thought it was very funny that it came up that, like, even students and fans of college sports at that age and at that point are aware of the possibility because they read it somewhere. They saw it somewhere, too. So it was out there. And who knows how responsibly it was or was not handled. But is this just the, the fertile atmosphere for this sort of conversation?
0: Yeah, I think it's just the nature of it, and Kentucky's such an easy, uh, you know, obvious, easy and obvious link with Brown, just because he's from Kentucky, born, raised there, high school there, coached there, uh, temporarily played there. So even when he was even before he got hired by West Virginia, there was always the conversation of, yeah, one day I bet Neil Brown's going to end up at Kentucky, and then he ends up at West Virginia, and Really, you got to think of where is he going to go from West Virginia. It, it's got to be high, you know. Usually, when you look at the, say, the totem pole of uh, or pecking order of of college coaching jobs, Kentucky is probably about the same. But with the SEC stuff and his ties to him and his family, and his in his uh, you know growing up his childhood and everything, it was a possibility, and now. You know, again, you need dominoes to fall. You need Florida State to fire Taggart and Florida State to decide between 15 other people to hire Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops has to decide to leave there to go to Florida State, then reach out to Brown. I mean, it's a lot of stretches here, and that's why I think it's ridiculous. And, and I, I would question whether or not, even let's say, uh, FSU hires Stoops, Kentucky immediately reaches out to Brown. Year one, would I really think that he would leave like a power five job after one year, even for a place that, you know, he obviously has ties to? I have a hard time picturing that. I think if you ask me that, say, after year three or year four, and maybe it's having a rough year or something like that at West Virginia, I would put the chances a lot higher. But no, now I'm not even thinking about it.
1: Let's say that Middle Tennessee fires are somehow parts ways with uh Rick Stockstill. And they dig into their alma mater and they hire Walt Bell after one year at UMass. So the whole one year thing happens again, right? Would UMass be interested in Neil Brown?
0: I don't know. When it's so weird. Only... That's
1: why these things are so convenient for people. They start conversations that aren't even necessary. And like that doesn't make sense. It's the same logic as Kentucky. Um, except he's from Kentucky, but he went to UMass and he has connections at UMass and he talks about his time at UMass an awful lot. I mean, you would make the same bridge there. And I just don't think it makes any sense. And the reason that you're saying year one is not logical is is completely valid, I think, too. Um, and again, this is why that whole continuity from year one to year two matters, too, because, you know, year two has got to be better. It could be better, but it's got to be better, too. And that's why, you know, if you lose Allison and let's say Dagey gets in and plays really well, maybe you lose Trey Lowe. Maybe he wants to be a punt return guy in the future. I'm not sure, or a punt team guy in the future. I'm not sure, but, like, I imagine he wants to be quarterback somewhere. He might see it hard to be here. Now you're down to those two quarterbacks. You get Garrett Green, it's three, but he's not going to play next year. Um, If one of those guys gets hurt, you're down even thinner. Like, it's it's really important to get
0: that roster um, under wraps in the first season. Because what do – say that happens – You know, Low ends up leaving, or Kendall, or whoever. I don't think Kendall is, but say one of the current quarterbacks leaves because they they get the writing on the wall that it's Daggie Mm -hmm. or Kendall, and Green is the future. Then what? Are we back on another transfer? Was West Virginia try to get a late late out quarterback? Try to find a diamond in the rough fourth year guy, or they go into 2020 with three quarterbacks?
1: Yeah, I mean, they want to have one for every year. So you'd have a freshman in green, you'd have a junior in Dagie you'd have a sophomore or a senior in low and Kendall, so he'd probably try to fill in that gap. So um, I, I don't believe that Kendall is going to leave. I think he'd have a hard time finding a spot for him next year. Um, but, yeah, you'd have to find somebody. Um, and, again, you're probably going to repeat that cycle at least every couple of years, because there's one football, these dual systems don't really work. Um, and guys want to play. So it's hard to even blame the kids, but it's hard to blame coaches for stockpiling quarterbacks. And it's hard to blame quarterbacks for saying, this is too
0: crowded. I want to try it somewhere else. Yeah, I, I still remember in February when I spoke with quarterbacks coach, Sean Reagan, and I asked him what his ideal quarterback room was. What was he looking for? How many guys? And he told me, he would love to have five quarterbacks, five scholarship quarterbacks. And he laughed as soon as he finished saying it, because I think he realized that stuff's not realistic anymore to have five. And you're lucky to have four. Um, so I think it's – I think they might beat the bushes on a couple guys if they're going into the spring with three, you know, because Green is enrolling early, so he will be there for the spring. But if they go into the spring with three or come out of the spring with three – I think they might beat the bushes on the guys, but with all their needs everywhere else and the hard cap, I don't know if you can use one on a, on another quarterback. I really don't. You got Trent Jackson hanging around too.
1: Don't forget. I mean, that's a guy who could who could fill the spot at some point in some capacity. There, um, he knows he's got the hotel reps.
0: <laughs> uh, he, him, and Uptown Freddie Brown can throw to each other and, and fulfill your wildest walk on dreams. Mike,
1: let me just put the fire out right now. We are not advancing or advocating any sort of coaching change, but the hypothetical here on November 6th on a Wednesday morning for a team that's lost four in a row that might not make a bowl game where people are already at the point of thinking, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen when Kentucky calls, uh, Blows my mind, and stuff never ever ends. I really don't want to relive the last week of December and the first week of January
0: again. What? What were the odds on Mike bringing that up before me on this podcast? Like, <laughs> there are a lot of people at in that uh, in that football program right now who may or may not be listening to this, going, "What? How?" how is Mike the one talking about this and not Chris. But that's okay. Well, we should get out of here before we do any more damage, I guess, huh? because I
1: have many more opinions I can unsheathe here if you'd like.
0: Uh, Are you going to be sharing any of those on the site later this week?
1: It's possible. I've got, uh, like I said, I've got news I want to write about, but I had so many good conversations with true freshmen that I'm encouraged to write about them instead. So give me a a mic or a platform
0: and I might have more to say. All right. And uh, later this week I'll have the Later today, actually, I will have the written version of my Q&A with Jarrett Johnson from inside the Red Raiders. Uh, I'll have the audio version up either Thursday evening or Friday morning as well. Um, We've got basketball stuff coming. Season opener, Friday night. Mike, are you excited? I'm actually pretty
1: intrigued. I kind of watched with not an eagle eye because I didn't want to pay too much attention to things. I wanted to kind of have a broad view. And there's a lot to like about where they can be in a couple weeks or a couple months. I think non-conference is going to be tough for them, but they have a lot of pieces. It's going to be fun to see how Huggins spreads out minutes and, and who they get shots for and how they get shots. Um, I will write about the very exciting concept of entry passes because they're not very good at it. It's very important. And in addition to that, uh, George Campbell's very fun season. A little bit about the freshmen. A little bit about Tyke Smith throwing people around on the goal line. Uh, I got I got a lot to cover this week, I'm sure.
0: Uh, and not a single story on on the bryson Bay snaps not anymore at least we'll find a spot <laughs> and and i it i will give everybody a heads up i don't want to say warning because i think people will be excited about it but uh when you have two down on their luck programs going three and five and facing off in football season uh jared and i did kind of delve into basketball as well uh, there was there's a lot of hope down in Lubbock for basketball, just like there is in Morgantown. So we did venture into basketball territory. I uh, hope you guys enjoy that too. Um, but until then, I think that wraps us up for today. Uh, I Thank you all for listening. I'm Chris Anderson. I'm Mike Casaza. Until next time.